everyone, and Happy New Year! We're giving you, I guess, what is the biggest episode of The Witching Hour for us every year, or at least once a year, because we're already in 2021. But this is our best horror movies of 2020. Haley and I each have a list of our 10 favorites. Guess what? Our 10 favorites don't have to be your 10 favorites, but we ask that you be respectful of our choice. We legally do have to be exactly, it's the law. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. I keep breaking the law. I know. You got to get it together. (laughs) We're going to get kicked off the internet. But seriously, enjoy listening to our lists. Please be respectful of our choices. But also hit that comment section and share your own top tens. We love reading them. And please just spread the love for the movies that you're super passionate about. That's what this is all about. So you ready to do it? I am. All right. Drink. All right, I'm going to go first with my number 10 horror movie of 2020. I said that this was likely going to be in my top 10 in 2019 when it came out. And now that when it was came out in uh, festivals. Uh-huh. And it's like, if it got a release, I was going to say it was going to be one of my favorites. I actually think it had a release that was pushed, too. But anyway... I said that in 2019 and in 2020, The Lodge is one of my favorite movies of the year. This is uh, not a movie that usually suits my interests because it's so dark and mean. This movie is so mean, but I'm fascinated by it. I am fascinated by how the meanness really comes from the most innocent individuals in the movie. It's, It's the children and... I get very wrapped up in thinking about how I don't know where to put the most blame in this movie. It's like, on the one hand, Riley Keough's character has a terrifying past where many individuals lost their lives. And it makes me want to file her away in the bad guy category. But she's trying to work through her demons and her experience. And then these little brats come in and they muck it all up. Had that family been a family that opened their arms to her, maybe she would have sought the transformation through. Then you also got to think about it from the father's perspective. How pure is that relationship? And how much is she just his pet project? Him wanting to show the world that he took this individual and helped her back into this wonderful, normal, normal life. And then, of course, you have to talk about the kids who essentially purposely and viciously turned her life upside down when she was most vulnerable. And they're kind of responsible for pushing her over the edge. So you got a whole bunch of shitty people potentially doing mean things to each other. And I can't get enough of it. I blame the parents, uh, just for the record. It, it's his fault, and yeah. it's her parents' fault. And um, that's just, that's on that. He's the worst father. He wins worst movie dad of the year, by far. We should have included uh, that in our awards episode. <laughs> Dang it, next year. Next year on the Waskers, we're having worst. Oh, it's staying. It's staying. <laughs> um, you know, this one wasn't so much for me. But uh, it's funny because it's actually too mean for me. And it's really funny that you like it. Um, But 
I respect the filmmaking and the performances, if not the father. I will say it's not awesome if you fall asleep watching uh, Golden Girls on Hulu and when you wake up, it's the end of The Lodge. <laughs> happened to me last week. <laughs> so that, that, folks. Was The Lodge just on TV? It's on Hulu, and you know oh, they yeah. autoplay to the next thing. Yeah. It was like literally the dad. Well, are we going to do spoil whatever? It was, um, it was something the dad does towards the end of the movie that we'll exactly what we're talking about. So I woke up just in time for all the worst stuff. Okay, yeah, lovely. Yeah. <laughs> all right, your number ten, Haley. My number ten. Very tough. This was a, I'm literally staring at my list like, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> but we, we talked about this on last week's episode. There is only the due date. There is no final version of the list. There's only the list that you have at your due date. Um, so at this moment, this version of the list has anything for Jackson at number 10. Hey, hey. Uh, hey, hey. Actually, I think um, Shudder is about to get a lot of love on here. Um, I like it. I like it. It scared me in unexpected ways. I felt like I knew what I was getting in for, and then I didn't. The performances are so good and so cool, and I love the concept. It all just, I thought it was going to be one thing, and then it was something else. But you see, the thing is, now that I say this, I think of the movie I cut for it to be there, and I'm upset about it. Um, but yeah, I'm sticking with it because I said it out loud. But I'm turning it into a tie with Swallow. Boom. My list, my rules. This is tie. All right. That's I will I will say, you know which one got bumped off my list? What? Swallow. Yeah. And I, was, I couldn't and I, was, it. I was very sad about it because I really wanted to include it. And it's just it's just the one that, that got knocked off. She's so good in it. I, I really tried. For you not to have any ties, but I couldn't leave it off. I just couldn't do it. It's it's anything for Jackson and Swallow. I know we've said this before, but just to try to manifest it by putting it out into the world even more, give Haley Bennett better roles. She's so good in Swallow. Ooh. And then when it comes to, I don't want to call it mainstream, but like wider releases, they never use her to the fullest. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. She's always... The side blonde. Yeah. It's just the only way she ever gets. It's such a waste. It really is. It makes me so mad. Yeah, we've we I think we've talked quite a bit about how much we love Swallow on this show, but it, it's just I I kind of regret that I didn't bring it up for best ending in the last episode because it's a different version of a best ending, but I think one of the most emotionally cathartic and like soulful and beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, I love that movie and it really has stuck with me. I think for a very, I don't even remember when I saw it for the last, the first time it was on the festival circuit for so mm -hmm. long. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. It's a tie. It's both of them. <laughs> All right. Do you want to reveal your number nine and we'll just keep passing it back and forth? Let's do it. Um, I want to color out of space. I want the... Huh, okay. Like color out of space. I feel like I should have known that was going to be on your list, and I was just caught by, by surprise right now. Yeah, I don't know why. I, I've been very vocal about my love for this, this little weirdo. Um, 
It just totally it works for totally you. Know you know what we missed on the last episode? What? That movie should be getting best creature design. Ooh. Oh. That, yeah. I mean, I'm still I'm still behind what we chose yeah. because like, I think there's a diff uh, an additional level of deep meaning, but that is some very impressive work. That's very true. Um, I'm surprised I didn't have that in my like, and the nominees are mm -hmm. section. Um, but I do, I, okay. I think that part of this, because I can watch that movie and go, boy, this has a lot of problems, <laughs> but, uh, it still really works for me. And I think part of that is just the Richard Stanley-ness. I love that man and his whole vibe. If you guys never watched our episode where we were lucky enough to have him on, oh my God, what a brilliant individual. Basically was like the closest I've ever felt to being in university while hosting the show. Like, I was just like, I am learning. Like extreme Oscar Isaac and yeah. apocalypse voice learning. <laughs> uh, yeah. So and I am, I, I think that it, his whole like presence and personality comes forth out of that movie. And I love it. I quite like it. Did not crack my top 10. My number nine. I'm curious if this is on your list. The Hunt. It is not. It is not. I I really. I it's so it's so tough to say I enjoyed the movie, but I I do think that this is one of those movies that ticks the say something box, say something that is wildly disturbing, and entertainment value box. And also, who out there could ever get enough of watching Betty Gilpin just like be a like a brooding badass who chewing it up give a shit and we'll just do whatever it takes for her to get to her end goal i mean fuck yeah sorry to drop so many curse words but that's what her performance in this movie makes me want to do just say fuck yeah to the world because she she kicks ass and i also really enjoyed what they did with that marketing campaign because we all know that that one had a bumpy road with its release and many assumptions were made about it. And while I was personally hesitant to make assumptions about a movie that I haven't seen, I can understand why certain assumptions were made. Then the movie came out and I think it had a lot more to say than I was expecting. A lot more to say without pointing one specific finger in one direction and I feel like it's more worthwhile to get a story, to have a storytelling experience that veers away from doing that. Or at least in this particular case, because now I'm thinking of another movie that most certainly goes like bad, bad, bad. And it's great. <laughs> I don't know. It's in the Hunt's case. Yeah. You know, you know that I don't, I don't think the Hunt has anything to say and everybody sucks as a bumper sticker, not a thesis. Um, but <laughs> If this was a list of my favorite action movies of the year, it would be on it. I know. We've had that conversation. <laughs> I, um, and uh, I mean, I chose Betty Gilpin as my favorite performance in the last episode. So, like, you know how I feel about that. She's so good. She's so um, good. Um, but and I do think the action is incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, I just, it didn't work for me as, like, a think piece. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say... I wouldn't say it made me think of many new things, if that makes sense, but rather 
bolstering other realities that I already knew were out there. Hmm. And I, I, you know, as much as I want my movies to be illuminating and offer something new to the conversation, just strengthening a conversation has value too. And I think that that's what the hunt did for me. Right on. I will say it has become, I I'm like, I'm not like casually obsessed with action scenes. It's like a, like a real situation. And I watch a lot of the same ones over and over and over. And the, the kitchen fight has become one that I watch intensely. That, that fight scene was featured prominently in my movie montage. I would hope so. All right. So that was my nine. What are you gave your nine? Yeah. Swallow. No, why, why am I saying swallow? Wait, no, that was my tie 10. Yeah. Um, but I did give my nine. It's you now. What was your nine? Colorado space. Jeez. Like it's, it's a like new, new, year, like, new year, refreshing brain, but you know, re- not that we're recording this on New Year's Day for real, but I probably had a couple yeah. drinks last night. So let's just blame it on that. All right. So okay. we're up to my number seven now. I can't get out. <laughs> go away now. <laughs> my number eight is Raleigh. Right. <laughs> I think throw in extra movies and you won't even notice. I might not at this point. I'm losing my mind. Haley, I'm assuming Relic is on your list. Of course. It's probably much higher than eight. Yes. I I honestly think the only reason that Relic is number eight and not higher up on the list is because I tend to, I tend to rank, and again, this isn't necessarily like the best movies of the year. These are our favorites. And when I'm doing a favorite list, I do tend to rank things higher that I enjoy watching over and over and over again. And Relic isn't necessarily something that I want to live in repeatedly over and over like that. But I do think that's an expertly crafted film that's getting at very different subject matter very poignantly. So it had to be on the list and I'm putting it at number eight. Fair enough. Um, do you want Do you want to talk about why? Because I feel like I never shut up about this movie, and I don't want to like just rant again about how it sums up my whole life philosophy in a really sad way. Do you Do you want to reveal where it is on your list? Oh, sure. Um, it's at five, hmm. so it's not that far away. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's it's just gets me right in the heart and in the scares and in the brain, which is really most of the main categories I'm looking for. I'm really Uh, excited for Natalie Erica James. I can't wait to see her make more movies. I know, especially after what she told us when she was on the show about like, oh my God, is this woman just going to target all my most personal fears? Mm -hmm. Have you watched some of her shorts? I really haven't, and I should. I highly recommend checking them out. Okay. And I, I, I believe she, I mean, I haven't watched them since we spoke to her, and it's been a little while now. I think she has a Vimeo page where you can find most of them. That's good. I will. I will. I'm not the best short watcher. It's sort of one of my guilty things as a mm-hmm. film fan. Like, I never see as many of them as I should when I go to film festivals. And oh. I think we all have that problem because, you know, as much as we want to see everything we can, especially at a festival, you know, we also have to adhere to work priorities. And that usually does mean covering the biggest titles with the biggest names. And that just reduces the amount of time for shorts programs. Yeah, there's definitely a, a 
Time is a factor in all things in this industry, including trying to make these dang lists, which is why we're <laughs> only ever certain of them on the due date. It is hard. All right. Yes. I know what happens next. Your number eight happens next. My number eight. It does happen next. Oh, it's so hard. Anything but Jackson and Colorado Space. Swallow anything but Jackson. Color out of space. I actually wish that well, I would. I Swallow wasn't the official 10. There's a tie. A tie. Fine. It's a tie. Yeah. Uh, I, what I wish I had done is made all of these double features so I could have snuck in 20 movies. <laughs> 20 uh, movies. Because I realized I could have themed them better. Like I could have done like Color Out of Space and Synchronic together. Synchronic didn't make my list. It was just outside of it. Yeah. But like that would have been fun. Anyway, my my number eight is in Patagor, uh, which mm -hmm. I caught late and I think is just really excellent and creepy as heck. Um, it, it has like a couple moments that don't really play for me, which is why it's a little lower for something I call excellent. Um, but it, uh, it, it's from the director of Satan's Slave. It <laughs> opens on this young woman working in a toll toll booth with her best friend right across the way working the other toll booth and they're like talking on the radio and all of a sudden this guy comes up and tries to kill her out of nowhere and it's super intense and it like draws you immediately into the film basically she finds out she goes that she has like an inheritance in her village that she didn't know she was from but the villagers have been trying to find her and kill her her whole life because they believe she's responsible for a curse in the village. So like, it's all about that curse and then them coming after her. And it's very, mm -hmm, it's intense. It's good. Is this a shutter release? Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm so glad I snuck it in. It was one of the, it's one of the last oh. ones I got in. Um, I'm probably going to sneak that in now, which means by the time this video runs, I'll probably be like, well, shit, I didn't include it. <laughs> Well, maybe. I mean, it's where'd you fall at on Satan's Slaves? I I think I've I've seen it once, and I kind of can't really remember how I felt about it. Okay, fair enough. Uh, it's stylistically very similar. Which I think I think you know, if I remember correctly, I was kind of like middle of the road on it, which is probably why it's not super memorable to me. Maybe. Uh, I I honestly wasn't like as into Satan's Slave as a lot of people were, but I did think that the style was really strong and the opening few scenes really got me good. I think it lost steam after that. I yeah. feel that this movie is not suffered from that. Like it starts really, really strong and then just it does dip a little, but it's like a little roller coaster. It gives you a little dip and then goes all the way back up again. I like it. I liked it a lot. You know what I do vividly remember? The poster for Satan's Slaves. Oh, I don't. I don't know. I just quite quite like the art. If, if again, I'm remembering correctly, I believe it's, um, I don't know, just the three people, three people standing with the umbrella. Oh, then maybe I do remember it. That's what yeah. I was thinking. For, for, whatever, for whatever reason, that's the clearest visual I have right now. All right. All right. Yeah, you're right. That's what it is. Wow. Um, yeah, it, I, I think this one has kind of flown under the radar, uh, as a lot of Shutter's releases do, especially now that theatrical releases aren't an option. Um, don't let it. It's really good. Watch it. I feel like Matt will always ensure that a Shutter release never flies under my radar again. <laughs> He's the ultimate Shutter cheerleader, and uh, I 
appreciate that. Shutter's released a lot of good stuff this year. So now you have to give your seven, your six. Seven. Shit. I'm thinking movies in. I fucked up my notes. Oh. I fucked up my notes. I see what happened here. Are you missing one? Yeah. Uh Uh-oh. Hold on. You wait, but still, you. I mean, you can give your. Oh your, right, my my well, seven. I, <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, it would be it would be your seven. Okay, you're not gonna like it. It's the platform. No, I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm fine. Okay. I can handle it. I'm just glad. I'm glad it's on the list. It is on. Of course, it's on the list. This is a wonderful movie. Um, it is so. It is one that I haven't really had an opportunity to revisit. And so I might do what you do, which is rewatch it. Like what you were just saying, I'll probably rewatch it before this posting. Oh my God, it should have been so much higher. Um, but it has endured for a really long time in my mind. And I almost don't want to talk about it too long because I feel like we have not shut up about it for <laughs> a year and a half. But it is one of those excellent versions of tackling a societal problem through the genre and those are just like aren't those always the best Mm -hmm. like i I feel like they're they're truly the best in general lately i don't know maybe maybe that just comes with age or at least that's what happened in my mind or i don't know just what's going on in the world but i feel like you know, maybe, maybe it was even what Jordan Peele accomplished. Like, I feel like that was kind of the spark that made me value that kind of storytelling over the fleeting thrills that I used to just love. I mean, I think there's a, a space for both, but my favorites have tended to be the other kind. I mean, like, John Carpenter was always that guy. Um, George Romero was always that guy. Uh Ridley Scott, when he dabbled into horror, was often that guy. Um, it's just they, you know, <laughs> when I when I look back and I think about how much I love Returning um, Return of the Living Dead, I do love that movie. But that's not what I'm talking about. That movie doesn't say anything except <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> Night of the Living Dead. I think, you know, it holds up for a lot of reasons and obviously mm-hmm. sets a template for zombies, but it's because it was saying something. It, it meant something. It mattered. And, yeah. and that's always why, why I think these kinds of movies endured. And it doesn't hurt to have one dope-ass hook for your setup, which is this, you know, platform. I'll tell you guys, I think a lot of you probably have figured this out at this point. So the platform was number three on my best movies of 2020 list, but it's number one on my best horror movie list. So tick the number one box for me with that one. I also realized why my list was messed up because what I discovered about how we are categorizing a specific movie on our last episode forced me to change something because I wanted it on the list. We're not there yet, but that's why my numbers were off. Anyway, I am at my number seven. And speaking of genre movies that offer an exhilarating thrill and also say something about our relationship with the environment and wildlife, it is Sea Fever. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, 
This is another one where I think it's got sky high production value. And it is, it's unnerving from start to finish, but similar to something we were discussing last week. Like, again, it's a, like, it's a dark, scary movie, especially the first time I had seen Sea Fever, we weren't in the midst of a pandemic. And it became even scarier when I rewatched it during a pandemic. But this is also a movie that, as dark as it is, has a tinge of hopefulness to it. And that hopefulness comes from its message of upping the respect we have for the unknown out in the world. In particular, the unknown regarding wildlife in the world. We may look at something and instantly think it's a threat. We might want to take a step back and give it a fair assessment. And the fact that this movie does offer that thrill, that exhilarating, entertaining thrill, and it's got me on the edge of my seat, and it scares the shit out of me as far as how this, I'll call it, like, I guess, like an entity or a being right now, how it can affect the main human ensemble in the movie is freaking terrifying. But the most important thing to me about this movie was the message it left me with, and it was, you know, essentially, don't jump to judging something and especially if that judgment comes with harming it unjustly and unfairly and rashly and yay for them for making me think about that imagine america with our you know our inability to properly quarantine if if worms came out of your <laughs> it'd be a real mess up in here is what i'm saying i maybe, mean it is. maybe folks would be more inclined to wear a mask if they saw sea fever and I don't know viewed like those effects happening to them if they would just operate safely I don't know I I just feel that maybe things would be different if worms came out of their eyes I do I do feel like eye horror is the quickest way to freak someone out it is visual in particular of like when someone's pulling something out of their eye and I'm the kind of person who touches her eye all the time without fear. Cause I'm a contact lens wearer. I mean, I have not to get too horrific on this show. I have legit pulled a full length bang out of my eye before like a worm. And I was okay. But eye horror is one of the most horrific forms of horror in movies undeniable didn't they have to like take down billboards from the stand with the eye thing because they were upsetting people i remember that yeah that i mean nothing could prove your point more yeah i guess so and uh, and that (laughs) final destination scene yeah that's the whole situation yeah i'm probably not getting lasik because of that scene i won't go tanning ever again because of that scene no i look at letters Trucks with logs. The list goes on and on. It's taken so much from us. I know. All right. My number six. Yes, please. We've also talked about this one pretty extensively, but my number six is The Invisible Man. Yay. Yay for Lee Wanell. So as much as I tried to go into Invisible Man without comparing it to the Dark Universe, it was the first classic monster movie adaptation we were getting after the Dark Universe freaking crashed and burned i was worried but that movie right there is proof that you could take a popular property 
and not just bring it back for the sake of a cash grab. You can bring it back with purpose. You can actually adapt it and say something new with it. And what Lee Winnell does with the idea of a, of an invisible man is not what I would have expected prior to seeing trailers, of course. But he accomplishes so much in that movie from a storytelling perspective and also what we were talking about pretty extensively last week with his visual style. I love his visual style. What he does in Upgrade is something else. So to see Invisible Man and to see him take that style that he already had seemed to master to me and bring it to another level, it suggests to me that whatever he goes on to direct next, his style is going to continue to evolve from film to film, and that makes him a very exciting filmmaker. I have to agree with that. It was number three on my list. Nice and high. Oh, very high. I, again, I, th- I mentioned this last week, but like, I'm not sure how much of it is because it, I got to see it in theaters and it is one of the best crowd movies I think I've yeah. ever been in, in terms of the way it just worked that crowd over. Um, I love it. I have issues with it, which I have mm-hmm. expressed. Um, oh, that's right. I had I did that episode with um, Matt for some reason. Donato, you, you were out. Um, but I, I, I take serious, significant issue with some decisions in there and the writing, such as, uh, the way the pregnancy thing is handled is a problem. That said, phenomenal filmmaking, incredible acting. And I don't want to harp on it because I did say it in the last episode, but the ability to make an invisible character, like actually invisible, not swaddled in cloth. Scary is phenomenal like such Mm -hmm. a hard thing to pull off um so yeah all all around except for some issues with the use of the female body big big fan and it does some really to be fair to be fair that's a problem but it also is one of the best depictions of like the trauma of an abusive relationship Mm -hmm. that i've ever seen so it certainly takes takes the female experience into consideration just not all of it all right i i definitely hear you on that yeah but i love it obviously it's number three so like these these issues i have to bring them up but they clearly didn't ruin the movie for me that's fair a movie doesn't have to be perfect to earn a spot on this list Mm -hmm. um we are at your number six well a funny thing (laughs) i also messed up (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is going great <laughs> going so great um, so I am going to sneak in another tie because I wouldn't be comfortable cutting either of these okay. from um, and they kind of fit together nicely if I push it since they're both about technology we're going to do a little possessor host slash there um, they both I'll, I'll just take them one at a time. I don't want to try to push that similarity thing because it's a lie. Um, although they don't, they are technologically based. Yeah, I get um, it. Possessor won me over. I was not in love with it when I finished it. The more I thought about it, the more it stuck with me. Mm-hmm. I love the themes of like amorphous identity and who are we? Like if we can change these things about ourselves. I I think it's really uh, all very relevant in the age that we live in, and especially uh, not to be like, the internet is bad. (laughs) 
that's up for debate. But um, you can kind of be whoever you want on the internet, should you choose to do that. And I, I think that's a mentality worth exploring. And not that I think that's directly the metaphor he was going for, but that's where my mind went. Um, the way people transform themselves and take over other identities. It's like the ultimate catfishing, taking over somebody's body like that, right? Um, and well, I guess I can say this because uh, this won't be posting until it's out. Way more in common with Wonder Woman 1984 than I was expecting. Another movie that uh, takes over someone's fucking body and just uses it however they want to, and I'm not okay with it. I'm not okay with it. Huh. That movie fucked. Yeah, they used that man as a fuck puppet. What? Did... We need to talk. We need to talk about this. Yes, Possessor. Wonder Woman 1984 did not expect them to have so much in common, but here we are. Anyway, that's a side rant. I'm processing okay. these things. Um, I'm like, I'm still soaking in the point you just made. <laughs> it's horrific. I have problems with that movie. Okay. Okay. This isn't about Wonder Woman. <laughs> this is about Professor, which is excellent. Um, I'm always here for Christopher Abbott doing his thing. He's amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, obviously, Andrea Riceborough is a phenomenal actress. So good. The visuals are incredible. Mm -hmm. That transformation, ooey gooey thing that happens, that's like extremely fout shit. And then, so to move on to host, I mean, God knows we've talked about it a lot, but come on. That's so good. The, the pinnacle of a movie of and for its times. Mm -hmm. And um, as I've said a million times, before, someone with an idea who didn't listen to the naysayers and the negative Nancys and went and did something cool with their idea instead of shitting on other people's ideas. That means a lot to me. I love it. I love it. I think I talked about this last week, but the amount of different scares, the way they all feel different, and the way they're all jammed into a beautiful little 60-minute nugget. Mm. Mm -hmm. I won't go on and on about hosts because, again, we talked about it a lot last uh Last week, host is my number three. Host is also my number five on my best of the year overall. I am very obsessed with it. I watched it more times than I can count. One thing that I might not have brought up on last week's episode, though, is one of my favorite aspects of host is how it uses the Zoom call in a way where I know I know we're all itching to get back into a movie theater and see a movie on the big screen, but I love how that movie was kind of designed in a way to be viewed on your laptop where you actually take your Zoom calls because when I finished the movie and then opened up a Zoom call that I had to do, all I could think of was the multitude of ways that host used Zoom in a horrific way. And that ensured that the movie was not going to leave my brain anytime soon. And it still hasn't, even months after it came out. Well, and that ties into something that we talked about on last week's episode, too, with the time, the runtime. Like, those mm -hmm. rules don't mean anything in the way that we digest our stories now. And similarly, I think it's so refreshing, refreshing to see a filmmaker who said, I encourage you to watch this on your devices, as opposed to, like, uh, someone watching my movie on the laptop, the sky is going to fall. It was designed for other means. Like, that's not how people watch movies. Grow up. It's a new era. And so I, I found that 
uh, wonderful to embrace that. And again, of its time and for its time. Mm -hmm. And making something with the audience in mind that way. So host and possessor were tied for your six, correct? Yeah. Which would bring us to your five. Oh God, it's me. <laughs> I'm so confused at this point. Uh, I can do this though. My number five is his house. No, wait, is it? Could be. Nope, because it was relic and that's why my notes are a mess. Yes, because you, you said that. I, I do believe I've spoiled my number four though. It's okay. <laughs> your number five. His house more. Um, so Relic is your number five. That brings us to my number five. And this is the one that screwed up my list because I wasn't counting it as a horror film until we had our conversation last week. So Promising Young Woman is my number five. And we've blabbed about this one pretty extensively, but I don't know. I just have to reiterate how good Carrie Mulligan is in this. I don't want to take away from all of her other accomplishments, but I feel like this movie let her, you know, flex her acting muscles, so to speak, in new ways that we hadn't seen before. And it just kind of, you know, bolstered my belief that I think she has endless potential. And she's so good in that role. It's just I'm fascinated by the fact that Cassie is so like outwardly specific with her mission and intense about it. And then on top of having to be very, you know, like straightforward and strong about her goals in that respect, then Carrie Mulligan has to deal with this internal struggle of what's actually driving her to do those things. And the fact that she makes both things feel so present and connected from top to bottom is what makes the movie work so well. In addition to, Emerald Fennell is just like expert eye and her strong grasp on exactly what she wants to achieve with this. This is a story that wouldn't have worked unless the person at the helm knew exactly what she was trying to do and knew exactly the path to get there. Yay. Yay. That's <laughs> actually uh, my number one. So... We both, we both caught our number ones then. I know. Uh, I love it so much. It's going to be a problem that for me when I can watch it all the time that I absolutely will. I have, I cannot genuinely, genuinely cannot remember the last time in recent men memory that I was so worked over by a movie exactly the way it wanted me to be. Like, oh, she had me every step of the way exactly where she wanted me i can't say enough i mean you already said all the right things about carrie mulligan's performance but i would also have to say that bo burnham was fantastic uh the casting in this is intentional and wonderfully done but i think he pulls it off the best in the sense of like these are all guys that are supposed to make us feel comfortable right like and I don't, I'm not that familiar with Bo Burnham. Um, I just don't, I, I never really grew up with this comedy. I didn't watch it. And I, I like eighth grade, but I wasn't obsessed with it. But he totally, like, I was like, yeah, I get why you would fall for this man in a heartbeat. Why yeah. wouldn't you? Um, yeah, all of it 
works so perfectly and it's very frustrating not to be able to talk about why yet but as soon as it's available on VOD we are going to have a chat about it I was like bursting at the seams trying to figure out a way to emphasize what you're saying right now but like everything that I wanted to say comes too close to giving something away so I'm just not going to do it it's a and it is like I have the way that she had me in her clutches I want everyone to be in those clutches so my five was your number one correct and you already gave us your number five which was relic which means i go first for four my number four is spontaneous this movie came out of nowhere for me and i think it came out of nowhere just because of you know the nature of film distribution this year we're basically inundated with at-home releases there's a lot of stuff out there and also it just wasn't released by the biggest distributor out there. There wasn't that much talk about it. It was limited to a trailer or two. And when the email, honestly, when the email to cover this movie came through my inbox, what I did was process it from a ladies' night perspective. It was like, hmm, this could be a great way to get Katherine Langford on the show. Like, the movie's probably forgettable, but... And then I saw it. And then I saw Brian Duffield's name in the credits and I'm a big fan of the babysitter. And I really believe that the babysitter deserves more credit than it actually gets. But spontaneous is his first feature as a director. So I wasn't entirely convinced that his voice and style was going to come through in that position as well as it does as a screenwriter. Turns out it does. The movie's great. I think it's based on a book too. So I can't give him, you know, all the credit for coming up with the story, but I do think the way the movie obviously addresses the nature of school shootings is very well conveyed. And, you know, it is that idea, again, of getting at very difficult truths about our reality that are difficult to discuss through an entertaining film. And I think he marries those two ideas extremely well. I haven't read the book, but I'll give him credit for doing that in the screenplay, which Brian Duffield wrote. Anyway... I think that that part of the movie is conveyed very well. And then what further just wows me about this story is the way that they get into the cracks and how applicable those cracks and just exploring the mentality of what Catherine Langford's character is going through, how, I mean, you can apply that to a multitude of areas of life and and difficulty and getting past grief and I mean, the list just goes on and on. the frustration with how the government handles um, handles problems in this country. It really it, it tackles so much. It tackles so much that also feels so immediate right now in a year where it feels like the world is burning around you. And it's another one of those movies where even though it doesn't end in a place where like. Glad we got rid of that problem. Like those problems still very much exist in the world, but it ends with a tinge of hope with, with that character being able to forge forward. And I needed that reminder this year of being able to forge forward in the face of so much, uh, honestly, like death, destruction, negativity. And the fact that this movie was able to do that for me time and time again, because I've watched it more times than I can count. I greatly appreciate it. I need to give that one another watch. Um, I just caught it recently and I really liked it. But what did I say to you? I got like a, oh, I got a hype vaccine. So it didn't quite work for me. It was so hype that I was like, yeah, okay. I'll recommend watching it again because in, in its broadest strokes, I can understand. I can understand that. And I feel like it wasn't until 
you know, I got the chance to really sit with it and watch it again and again that I realized, you know, the nuance in her performance and what Charlie Plummer brings out in her and what he represents too. There, there, there's just, there's so much to it. Yeah. It's definitely, uh, extremely well-made. Another one that feels like, I think we said this about Relic and Sea Fever, just the meaning completely changes when you watch it this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think it's a lovely film, and it is not to be a total bitch, but the first time that I was like, Catherine Langford, okay, let's go. She's so good. She's yeah. so good. And I've only watched I, a handful of episodes of 13 Reasons. The show just didn't work for me. I didn't care. But this... This role, also because that char- that character is is basically like a whole bunch of bottled up teenage emotions, which are the most explosive kinds of emotions, and she has to tackle so many of them, and tackling so many of them speaks to range, and it was so nice to see her show off her range. Yeah, she she was great. She was funny. Um, that is my favorite part of the film: is the sense of humor and mm-hmm. the jokes characters tell each other I think are very funny and they are the kinds of things I would say to my friends it's very relatable it's really good I just need to rewatch it I'm too fresh on it I recommend rewatching it I will I will all right so we're at year four now oh right which I already spoiled it's oh, his house hey number two hey we're gonna we're gonna we're getting there man this is it I mean I, I actually think we've talked about every movie left on my list I think I have one left. Okay. Uh, yeah, His House. You know we love His House. How long have you known we loved His House? Especially Perry, for goodness sake. <laughs> I've, I've known I loved His House since January. And then you had to endure, like, math, nine months of me <laughs> not being able to shut up about it. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed all of it. Um, yes, and it did not disappoint. Thank goodness. Uh, I, I think... It's fortunate that only I only know a couple of people at Sundance because that's another one that could have had that hype problem that since mm-hmm. I did have to wait so long to see it. Fortunately, um, I did not have that problem. I thought it was really well done. Um, might be, I mean, ooh, because the platform too. I was going to say might be my pick for Netflix's best movie of the year. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a uh, close, it's a close second, but the platform does top it for me. Well, clearly by my ranking, I, I prefer his house. But um, I I think it's beautiful for all the reasons we continue to say. And I think my favorite thing about it, especially because it came out so close to Bly Manor, was I loved the the repurposing of the ghost story, specifically mm-hmm. in in Britain. Like I, I like enjoyed that too, since that is sort of where you get all these classic Victorian ghost mm-hmm. stories. With the the ghosts with the long hair and all that and, uh, this isn't that at all it totally repurposes that whole genre still works in that you know uses those tropes to its advantage and is playing in that same genre sphere but just rebuilds it for a much more relevant um, relatable message mm-hmm. not that i obviously i think blind manor was relatable but it's the perfect like classic approach to that genre you know yeah i can see that and also just how you know the ghost story of it all 
isn't just a ghost story to be like boo ah and scare the characters, but the ghost story very much weaves into their growth as individuals and their growth as a couple. So it's a movie that has scares with purpose and we all know how much I love that. Oh, yeah. wait, I just realized something. Just this conversation made me realize, I guess we were only thinking movies, but if we're talking about my favorite horror endings of the year, Bly Manor is definitely. Oh my there. God. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know how I missed that. Into the movie, the movie realm, but that would have been in there if we opened it up to TV too. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I love his house. You guys have heard me talk about this movie nonstop, but without getting more into the movie, I just like, like a big freaking round of applause for the three of them for Remy Weeks, Wumi Masaku and Shope Dorisu, because this, this is next level work that is, very much deserving of like propelling them to more opportunities. And I hope enough people see this and I hope enough people, you know, get behind it to the point of upping the word of mouth and making sure more people out there are more aware of the incredible work they delivered in this. I think the three of them are phenomenal. Cannot disagree. So that was my number two. Yes. That was your number four. Yes. Which means we go to your number three next. Which was The Invisible Man. So Which that's the Invisible cover. Man. So then you pass it to me, and I say my number three was host. Okay. And then I take it to number two and say it's his house. Ooh. <laughs> and then I give it to you, and this is the last movie that we've yet to discuss. This is it. Uh, a little sneaky, a little sneaky son of a gun. That I, another one I caught recently in the end of your binge, mm -hmm. La Llorona. Unbelievable. Shit. Now I'm mad I didn't get around to watching it. Unfreaking believable. I almost didn't include it because it is more of a drama than a horror movie, but it, it has enough horror elements infused into it. Don't, do not expect like supernatural shit from this movie. It's not what you're getting. It's like, that much supernatural. It is a, seriously heavy drama about genocide and that is not something i would think i would want to watch but it's unbelievable okay i love it. it's so slow so some people will hate it i can already hear the people in the comments that's not a horror movie yes it is um experiential horror counts mm -hmm. and and la Llorona's experience is horrific um uh, it, it completely repurposes that myth into something relevant. It's all the shit we've been talking about, you know, like it's, it's timely. It says something about society and, and boy, it took me there. Just uh, the, I think it's like the choice to make the dictator sort of one of the central figures and focus mm -hmm. on the guilt of him and his family, or maybe his lack of guilt. Oh my God. So good. It's like a, yeah. uh, what was that documentary that was so brilliant recently? There were two. There was a follow-up. Oh, no. A documentary about what? It was about people who committed genocide and... and I know what you're talking about, and I can't remember the names. This is going to kill me. They're long titles. Yeah. There's the, the sequel has the eye doctor on the cover. Does one have... The look of what is it? The Look of Silence. I think that might be it. Okay. This, this is kind of like a look of silence type perspective to a horror movie. Sound. 
Sound of Silence? No? That's... Or is that a song? <laughs> I think that's a song. Okay. So, right. The first one is called The Act of Killing. You're right. The look at, the look of silence, and that's the one with the glasses. Yes. Okay. So these... Uh, my point being that they offered a really profound perspective on genocide and those who committed that we had not seen before with that emotional vulnerability and not sympathy, but empathy. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel that this film similarly opens up that territory in a narrative sense and just rips mm -hmm. my heart. It's beautiful. A shutter, another shutter release that uh, they're going to get a lot of love. I'm boosting it to the top of the watch list. It's really good. It's like, I, I think that they, I understand why they didn't because the figure of Lairon is so important to the story that they're telling and how they're repurposing it. But I almost think that the connotations to the, you know, the Warner Brothers movie that was so recently released mm -hmm. does them no favors and people are less likely to watch it, which is yeah. a damn shame. Totally understand why this became an Oscar submission. Hmm. I need to watch it ASAP. Figuring out the snake order here. That's your number two. So that that's your number two. And you're the first one to you give your number one, which we've already talked about. Well, promising young woman. Yay. Right. That actually, that was my pick for scariest movie last week. So it's my scariest and my favorite. I like it. And my favorite is the platform. Surprise, surprise. Wow. We did it. Good movies. We did it. We did, I, and I know that as soon as we stop filming, I'm gonna be. Fuck! I forgot one. Well, forget no. about just forget about just when we stop filming. I mean, you guys like same clothes, guys. We will have a couple days between this recording and when it actually releases, so we have a whole yeah. lot of time to stress about this list. Oh yeah, that's as, as it always is. I will say. Before we wind this down, even though it's the beginning of a new year, this is technically us closing the book on 2020. And we need to give a big shout out to all of you for supporting the show for a whole nother year, because I think I can speak for both of us when I say it's a major bright spot every single week. And we feel incredibly lucky and honored to get to do this show on a weekly basis and we wouldn't be able to if it wasn't for you and your support so thank you for going on this horrific journey with us more horrific than ever yes so, especially we're, we're like she said we're opening a new book hopefully a, a a better book dare we say filled with just as many great movies um or at least maybe a a happier book yeah, a, ha a happier book would be nice. I will I will say, though, in taking the time to prep for this, to prep for top tens, to make my movie montage, it did serve as a nice reminder that even though we didn't have a traditional year of cinema, even though we didn't get the experience of having those communal viewing uh, times on the big screen, the things that we know and love, our opportunity to, you know, see people and celebrate movies at festivals, we still did get many, many great feature films and TV shows in 2020. And you guys know me, I, I know times are tough and I never, I never want to lessen what everybody's going through because that, that stuff, that stuff is real. We feel it together. And, 
just the opportunity to be able to look at what we did get. It's it's kind of like the little bit of light I needed this year. So I'm just I'm very grateful for, you know, we said it last week with our MVP, like film like filmmakers like Rob Savage that rallied this year and delivered something that excited us for distributors who push to get their movies out there. So we have something to watch and share with each other, even if it is at home for all the PR folks who continue to work and manage to pivot in a really challenging year so that we've been able to cover their movies and celebrate their movies with the filmmakers behind them. It's a difficult year, but a lot of people showed a lot of good in it, and I'm I'm holding tight to that. I'll add a shout out there to the film festivals who had the guts to yes. go virtual instead of postponing. I I think, and I know not guts. I don't mean to be rude, like to those that postponed because it seemed like the most business savvy decision. Or I know those are typical difficult things to deal with and unprecedented. But those film festivals, the virtual ones, meant a lot to me in all the ways that you're talking about right now and uh, Fantasia will always be special to me because it was the first one that really stepped up to the virtual game made a big deal out of it brought an insane package of films uh was so generous with access I don't that one and it was the first one therefore that brought me that sense of community I was really missing with everything being canceled so there you guys have it that is your episode of The Witching Hour, your best horror movies of 2020. As always, we encourage you to hit the comment section below. Share your own top tens of 2020 right there. Another thank you for watching. You have officially survived The Witching Hour.